the Master Tavern Keeper's History of the Old World. your ears have suffered enough. No more singing for now. Fortunately, the missus is over at her mother's tonight, or else there would be hell to enjoy if I'd have woken her up. Anyway, passes me drink. Thank you. Ah, that's better. Ah, so, let's get back to Skeggy then. Now then, Upon arriving in the port, I first found work in one of the taverns near the quayside, called Old Goldbeard's Standing Room. Old Goldbeard himself was a funny old sot, but he took me under his wing and, truth be told, he's probably the reason I now have this tavern here in Tobaro. In his wild establishment, I got to hear about all sorts of things from all sorts of people, but one of the first stories I ever heard was the tale of the founder of Skeggy the legendary Norsecan seaman, Lost Ericsson. Now, it was back in the year 888 of the Imperial Calendar that Lost Ericsson made his historic landfall upon the coast of the New World. The Norseman was not the first to navigate the coast around Nagaroth and then plough down through the seas around Lustria, but he was the first to live to tell the tale, meaning that Lost Ericsson was able to claim all the fame for discovering Lustria for himself. However, the Norseman was not in point of fact looking for new lands to explore, but rather he was simply trying to raise enough gold for a dowry so he could wed his sweetheart, Inga, back in Norska. To this end, Lost Ericsson and his men had already tried to attack the uh, misty isle of Albion, but had been repelled by the ferocious inhabitants there. Then they moved and tried to attack the coastal settlements that lined the Sea of Chaos. But the elves on both sides of that deadly stretch of water had resolutely defended both the lands of Nagaroth and Ulthuan against the raiders. Thus, the Norse had continued southwards, looking for easier pickings, until they eventually were clear of the lands of the Druki and reached the Isthmus of Lustria. Here they stopped and rode to the nearest beach to explore the uncharted land. Lost Ericsson had not been ashore for more than a few days when a good number of his men fell sick with a debilitating plague caused by the uh, insect bites that uh, are just endemic to that area. Ah, and actually, before I go any further, that reminds me. There's something I want to ask you, Heinrich. Yeah, yeah, uh, what is that, Master Tavernkeeper? Well... I too became very sick and feverish during my first week in Skeggy, much like many of Lost Ericsson's crew. And if it wasn't for the timely intervention and aid of the elven archmage Carl Hordus Whitemane, I'm not sure I'd have pulled through. How come Marco and his men were so seemingly unaffected by the diseases that so often 
plague newcomers to Lustria. They trudge through the jungles on, well, at least one, well, numerous occasions, right? Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. I once asked my grandpapa the very same question, and he told me that he believed it was due to the gourds of lizardman vines that they were drinking. It was uh, somewhat pungent stuff, but uh, seemed to have the uh, positive side effect of keeping the insects away, in addition to its uh, other medicinal and intoxicating benefits. Oh, really? Now that is interesting. I shall have to let uh, Cal Hordes know about that next time he is in town. He'll certainly want to investigate it. Right, well, thank you for your insight. Uh, anyway, let's get back to a Lost Ericsson then. The Norse left their sick warriors behind to guard their boats on the beach, whilst Lost Ericsson and the still hale and healthy men headed further inland in search of plunder. Of course... Lost Ericsson had no idea what lay within the boundaries of this new land, but hoped that there would be temples and cities to raid, just like there were in Ulthran and Nagaroth. Although, he wished for them to be rather less well defended than the uh, elven ones. After a long trek through the jungle, and with only half the party still alive, after encountering numerous ferocious reptilian beasts and various deadly man-eating plants, the Norse eventually emerged amongst the overgrown ruins of a deserted temple city. This was exactly what Lost Ericsson had been hoping for. He bade his men ransack the place and loot whatever treasures they could. They managed to unearth some items of gold from the depths of the abandoned pyramids and barrios, although several of the men disappeared during the day's long search. Lost Ericsson was not too concerned, though. The less men he had, the less he'd have to split the treasure afterwards. However, before the situation became too precarious, he decided to return to his boats. Now he knew what lay within the jungle, he fully intended to return with a far larger expedition and potentially probe further into the interior. Apparently, the return back to the beach was no less arduous than the journey to the ruins, and when Lost Ericsson finally reached the sea, it was with but a handful of warriors. However, upon arriving back at the boats, they found each deserted. Their sick comrades had disappeared. There was simply no sign of them. No blood, no bones, no sign of a fight either. The fate was unknown. Although the conjecture at uh, old Goldbeards was that they'd been set upon by the skinks of the jungle, silenced with blow darts and then dragged away to the altars of Sotek. Uh, it's uh, as good a theory as any, I guess. In Lustria, death comes in many forms, though. Yeah, yeah, indeed it does, as some of Marco's mutinous crew found out. But uh, I shall save that uh, juicy morsel for later. Oh, building anticipation, I see. I like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, excuse my rude interruption. I think this uh, rum is uh, messing with my head a little bit. Oh, you want to be careful of that. That particular rum is uh, overproofed, so beware. There's no shame in diluting it, though. Why don't you grab yourself a bit of snow off the window rail and uh, toss it in your glass? We don't want you passing out before your tale is finished. Ah, yeah, yeah. Uh, good idea. Uh, thank you, Master Tavern Keeper. 
Anyway, back to Lost Ericsson. By the time the Norse did a headcount at the beach, there were so few left of them that each man's share of the loot made all the survivors very rich men. In order that Lost Ericsson might find this place again, he ordered that the uh, Norsemen build a great conical cairn of stones and rocks that could be easily seen from the sea. And, with this achieved, he and the other survivors set off to return home. And yes, before anyone asks, it is this that now sits at the heart of the port of Skeggy. The return journey to Norska was relatively uneventful. With the Norse being excellent seafarers and all, all the ships returned home safely, despite operating with skeleton crews. However, upon Lost Ericsson's return, things got interesting. The amount of treasure each of his sailors possessed very much gave everyone the impression that Lustria was a place where anyone could get rich quick. And this is the origin of a misleading folly that still draws men, dwarves and elves to Lustria to this day. It is only when these treasure hunters are in the depths of the jungle, cohorts of Saurus warriors bearing down on them, and terrible lizards ripping their comrades to shreds, that the truth dawns on them. There are no shortcuts to riches. Not without a mighty price to pay, at least. Anyway, Lost Ericsson used his lion's share of the treasure for the dowry for his beloved Inga, and they wed. Meanwhile, though, Whilst this was going on, his name and fame were quickly spreading throughout Norska, and soon everyone was talking about the newly discovered land that was overflowing with gold and riches. Warriors came from far and wide to Lost Ericsson's newly built feasting hall, built with his share of the gold, and clamoured for him to lead a new expedition to Lustria. Things suddenly seemed to be falling into place for the Norsemen. He ordered that a small armada of large longships be built and placed under his direct leadership in order to sail back to Lustria. This time around, though, he did not solely bring warriors. Each ship's contingent also included their wives, children and farm animals. This was not going to be any mere raiding foray. They set sail, and the expedition reached Lustria after a long and arduous voyage. Alas, not everyone made it, though. Lost Ericsson slowly sailed along the coast until they spied the great cairn they had raised to mark their previous landfall. The Norse beached their ships in the dark shadow of the cairn and began to fortify the area. They wished to avoid any more uh, mysterious disappearances, if at all possible, and in a matter of days they had constructed a stockade around their boats. And yes, again, this is the very one that formed the foundations of the quays in use today. Now... That particular part of the jungle was and still is rich in strong timber and the Norse axes made short work of cutting down and then collecting enough wood so as to begin building a Norse settlement with a grand new feasting hall at its heart. The jungle too was then slashed and burnt back by hundreds of yards and this did much to reduce the outbreaks of sickness brought on by the uh, jungle insects. 
As the Norse got to know their new environment, they found and fed on the fruits of the forest. And they also learned how to hunt and trap the great reptile beasts of the jungle, which they roasted on their spits. Ah, yeah, yeah, I do, do love a good spit roast. Oh, uh, uh, yes, well, as do the Norse. However, there was something missing. There was no booze. My goodness, now that will not do. Indeed, indeed. To remedy this, they sowed seeds from their homeland in the hope of raising a mighty crop in the fertile soil. But they struggled to reap a decent harvest in the wet earth of Lustria. Many of the seeds simply failed to germinate, and those that did were blighted by mould. In the coming years, they found strains that would grow successfully in Lustria, but in that first year, there was not enough grain to both feed the population and be used in the brewing process. However, the jungle once more provided. The hives of the gigantic tropical bee were discovered in the canopy of the jungle. Their inhabitants were then smoked out and their honey taken to make mead, braggart, which is a mixture of honey and grain, by the way, and mead brandy, all of which surpassed anything they'd drunk back in Norska. Although, uh, to be honest, that's not difficult. I've had my fair share of Norse ale, and I would describe it as, uh, well, palatable at best. Bloody poisonous at worst. Anyway, with the colony up on its feet and standing strong in its harsh new environment, it fell to Lost Ericsson to name it. He called it Skeggy, after his daughter, who was the first child to be born in the new land. The word Skeggy means beard in Norse, by the way. A strange name for a young girl, no doubt, but she uh, apparently had a luxurious head of hair, as thick and strong as a dwarf's beard, and thus was she named. Although a uh, neophyte, I would advise you against going around complimenting dwarves and their luxurious beards willy-nilly. Not unless you're in uh, desperate need of a fat lip, that is. In the uh, early days of the colony, Lost Ericsson forbade anyone from going off into the jungle in search of treasure, telling them of the dangers he had encountered in its depths. But this in no way put off the more uh, headstrong young warriors, eager for riches and oblivious to risk. A number of small warbands outright disobeyed the order and set off on their own. None ever returned, though. However, this is not quite as ominous as it first sounds. At least a couple of bands found riches, survived getting out of the jungle, and were able to return to Norska. This, obviously, encouraged more Norse to make the voyage to Lustria, and their destination was always the same. Skeggy. Thus did ships laden with yet more settlers turn up at Skeggy, and the population began to swell. And in less than a decade, the precarious settlement on the edge of the Isthmus of Lustria had become a thriving town and port, and more importantly, the gateway to the new world. Each and every year, more and more adventurers pass through the port, many returning with both gold and slaves, that would then in turn trickle back into Norska and the Empire. Mm, yeah, yeah, this is still very much the case. 
My home province of Nordland is Avosh in Lustrian gold that is brung into and then sold on the black market in the port of Norden. My grandpapa accumulated quite an eclectic collection of uh, lizardmen, objets d'art and the like. Ah, yes. When I worked on the North Whaling ship, we off stopped off at Norden and the streets were always full of drunken Norse that had just got back from Lustria. Hmm, interesting times. Anyway, back to the early days of Skeggy. Unfortunately, this influx of treasure hunters inevitably ended up upsetting the natives of Lustria, and eventually, a reckless band of Norsemen stumbled upon one of the inhabited temple cities of the Lizardmen, the city of Hexoatl. Much as the Dark Elves who raided Talax, that dear Heinrich told us about earlier, the Norse managed to steal something precious and fled away with it. As was the case in Marco Columbus' tale, retribution came like a hammer blow. A blow aimed at Skeggy. The mage priests of Hexawattle sent their servants to recover the item. Before long, a large horde of skinks emerged from the jungle near the port and Lost Ericsson and the settlers working the fields were suddenly beset by a swarm of lizardmen. The settlers retreated back into the stockade, where they were met by a wall of Norse warriors, each brandishing their axe and shield. The skinks attempted to overwhelm the defenders of the stockade, peppering them with poisoned blow darts and javelins before retreating back into the safety of the jungle, little by little whittling away the men manning the walls. As the sun grew low in the sky, the situation seemed hopeless until Lost Ericsson had a realisation. He immediately ordered that all the treasure accumulated in Skeggy was to be thrown over the rampart at the feet of the attacking lizardmen. There were a number of protests, but after a, a couple of the rabble-rousers were beheaded, the remaining men reluctantly obeyed. Lost Ericsson's idea worked, though. The skinks stopped their shooting, and their skink chiefs moved to investigate the pile of treasure. The Norse... Observe their hissing conversations as they inspected the hoard, picking up each item, glancing over it before discarding it. This happened over and over and over again. It soon became clear that they were searching for something in particular, and Lost Ericsson could only hope that they found it, or his fledgling settlement was lost. Suddenly, one of the skinks grew excited as they held aloft a single gold plaque inscribed with glyphs. The others raced to him, and there seemed to be an air of vindication amongst the skinks. They then cast sidelong glances back at the defenders of the ramparts before turning away and leading their cohorts back into the jungle without a backwards glance. Lost Ericsson waited until the skinks were well out of sight before allowing the Norse to rush out and recover their treasure. The remaining gold had been inconsequential to the lizardmen, beneath their notice, let's say. All that mattered was the plaque, for reasons that we have discussed already. However, as all this was taking place, the Norse, including Lost Ericsson, had not failed to notice that the skink leaders in particular, but also many of the warriors, were bedecked in silver and jade trinkets and jewellery. Once more, treasure fever reared its ugly head, and the Norse set about plundering 
with wild abandon in the coming months and years. The chains were unshackled and all restraint was forgotten. However, there was a particular event I heard tell of that did curtail the Norse enthusiasm and limit the inroads they ended up making into Lustria. Lost Ericsson continued to rule and govern Skeggy until his mysterious disappearance many years later. He himself did not confront the Lizardmen, but other chieftains wished to probe deeper into the continent. The wrath of the Lizardmen be damned. Here, they did indeed clash with the uh, Lizardmen. But it's not all they encountered. There were other, more elusive threats that would leave a shadow of fear in the minds of the inhabitants of Skeggy. A certain warlord, Codron the Unwary, led his men to the south, following the cactus coast past the islands of Yuldka, Quetzal and Zotibiki, and then into the mouth of the river Amazon itself and through the surrounding piranha swamps. Progress along the river was slow and the Norse proceeded with an unusual amount of caution until, amongst the strangling mangroves of the tributary, partially hidden by swirling mists, they saw an island thrust up from the depths of the river. As they sailed nearer, a mighty statue came into view on the vapour-wreathed shores. It was hard to make out its exact shape, but according to the, uh, the few survivors, they said it appeared to be human and female, a monument to the fearsome Amazon tribe. This seemed a bit fanciful to me when I first heard it, but it was firmly believed by everyone I spoke to, and I later on heard some first-hand accounts that do uh, corroborate the existence of a mysterious matriarchal tribe in the heart of the continent. But I'll uh, save those for another day. Anyway, the Norse got no closer to the island. Their longship was suddenly enveloped by a downpour of arrows, blow darts and even more arcane projectiles. Many men fell down dead immediately and those not killed by their wounds soon fell victim to the terrible withering effects of the bizarre weapons. A skank few survived the ambush and managed to steer their boat out of the wide river and back out towards the sea, back to Skeggy. The lasting effect of this story and other tales of swift death in the jungles of the continent on the folk back in the port was to take the edge off the desire to raid and explore too deeply into their new land. Instead, the Norse were content to raid along the coast and only probe into the nearby lands around the Isthmus of Lustria in search of ruins from which they could plunder treasure. Invariably, those who went too far never returned, leaving the rumoured great cities of the interior beyond the greed of men. But in this way, the settlement survived and prospered. Wow, the weather's really getting wild outside. I'm glad I uh, closed all the uh, windows properly. Anyway, I'm back to our story, eh? Although the immediate and direct impact of the port of Skeggy on the Empire of the Lizardmen was not that significant, there were to be long-lasting consequences. The Norse, being the Norse, prone to travel far, drink deep and boast wildly, 
meant that the tale of the wealth of Lustria became the talk of the taverns across the old world, particularly in Bretonia, Estalia, the Empire, and here in Tilia. Ah, and uh, almost needless to say, but the uh, rumours of gold fired the imagination of the dwarves who overheard them to boot. Thus, a plague of gold-lusting old worlders flocked to Skeggy over the coming centuries, and the tranquillity that had settled upon the land after the expulsion of the Skaven at the end of the Age of Strife was broken. Ah, yeah, my grandpapa told me that the uh, skink interpreter, Fini Pachutli, oft referred to the present age as the uh, time of tribulations. Ah, well, he was not wrong, and I fear the uh, future holds much worse for them and us. But uh, let us hope we do not live to see such times. Anyway, Heinrich, speaking of tribulations, let's leave the history of Skeggy and uh, get back to uh, Marco Colombo's quest to uh, defeat and capture some Norse for sacrifice to the lizardman god, Sotek. Eh? Ah, yeah, yeah, it will be my pleasure. It will uh, also take our mind off this uh, horrendous weather outside the window.